growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. They are the two ordinances. They are the two commandments given to us by Jesus Himself that connect us to the church through the ages and provide an unbroken chain all the way back to the cross. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. In evangelical Christianity, they have been the two ordinances practiced by the church for 2,000 years. But is it possible for their meaning to get lost in the process? Christ's death on the cross was real. And whatever else the ordinances of the church ought to be, they ought not to be mundane or routine or ritual. They ought to be real. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Both the Lord's Supper and baptism are pictures of what Christ has done for us. And today, as you're going to hear Pastor Clay say, one is a commemoration and one is a celebration, but both are a proclamation of the message of Jesus. In the context of those two ordinances, Pastor Clay is going to continue our study in the book of Colossians and take us to chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, where we're going to discover practical application for our lives. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's today's message. I have a church word for you today. <laughs> Aren't you thrilled? Have a, have a church word that I want to spring on you today. And the word is ordinance. Everybody say that with me. Ordinance. Oh, that sounded pretty. Say it again. Ordinance. It means an authoritative command or order. Today, you and I, those of us who have professed our faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledged Him as our Lord and Savior, and are living as best we know how in accordance with His will for our life, we are going to be participating in two, the two, what I believe are the two ordinances of the church. We are going to be participating in two events that the church has been practicing for 2,000 years. You're thrilled, I can tell. All right, I, 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 I confess, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this old history stuff, but I think it is absolutely fascinating to me that, that the church, the body of believers... And, and you may be here and you're not a believer. You just say, hey, I'm just checking this out. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Great, fantastic. Thanks for being with us. But the body of believers will get to do something together today that has been being practiced for two millennia. Now, now, now think about this with me. When your grandparents were born, the church was doing what we're going to be doing this morning. When the Declaration of Independence was signed, the church was doing what we're going to be doing today. When Columbus was sailing the ocean blue in 1492, the church had already been doing what we're going to be doing today for almost 1,500 years. 
I, I just think that's amazing. Now, everybody would, would admit styles come and go, right? Who remembers pet rocks, right? The fads and stuff. How, wouldn't you like to have been the genius that came up with that idea? Ah, oh, what's this? A rock. Oh, I believe I can sell this. Anybody remember? <laughs> I was thinking about this. Does anybody remember the, um, the dog leashes with the invisible dog on it? You know, these folks? You know, and there was no dog. It was like, okay. I was wondering, did you have to clean, them, clean up invisible? Never mind. <laughs> Styles, fashions, fads, they, they come and go. Now, quite honestly, some styles and fashions need to fade into antiquity quickly. <laughs> Anybody remember the AMC Pacer? Ah! Oh, <laughs> Lord of mercy, that was an ugly car. And if you had one, I'm sorry, but that was, whoa. Now, some people would say that the church is kind of outdated. Some people would say that the church is kind of behind the time. Some people would say the church could stand to, to make a few updates and perhaps change a few of its practice. And there may be some validity to some of those charges. But not the Lord's Supper and not baptism. They are the two ordinances. They are the two commandments given to us by Jesus himself that connect us to the church through the ages and provide an unbroken chain all the way back to the cross. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22, I believe it is. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body. In other words, this represents my body. What he was about to go do. This was in the upper room, the last supper, just before he went out to the cross. And he takes this bread and he breaks this bread. And he says, now this is my body, which is given for you. Would you read that last line with me, please? Do this in remembrance of me. Do it. Ordinance. And... Uh, Of course, many of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 28 that says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. It's an imperative verb. It's a commandment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. What's that next word? Baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command at you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Styles come and go, fads rise and fall. But the two ordinances of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism, remain unchanged. And so it should be. The amazing thing about these two ordinances is one, one is a commemoration. One is a celebration. But both of them are a proclamation. 
The Lord's Supper is a commemoration. It commemorates what Jesus Christ did for us. He went to the cross voluntarily, willingly. He laid down his life. Remember these words? No man takes my life, I lay it down. He laid down his life. His body was broken and battered and bruised and beaten for us. His blood was shed for us. And what we do today commemorates that fact. The Lord's Supper commemorates Baptism celebrates. It celebrates a person's new life in Christ Jesus. Right, Ashley? My sister, Ashley Vaughn, sister in Christ. Ashley's being baptized this morning, having professed Christ as her Savior recently. Be participating in the Lord's Supper for the first time as a believer in Jesus Christ. I just think that's exciting. As... As also Hayden and Matthew are being baptized also. But it celebrates. It celebrates a person's new life in Christ Jesus. When, when, they, when a person goes under the water, it, it symbolizes. It's symbolic. There's no power in the water itself. It symbolizes the fact that their sins have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And when they rise up out of that water, and they always do, by the way. We don't leave them down there. When they rise up out of that water, it, it, it celebrates the fact that they are rising in newness of life. They're rising in, in newness in Christ and that Christ is their life. And they are picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ even in that baptism. It's a celebration. Both of them proclaim the good news to the world that says... Not only did God come and live among us, that would be fantastic enough in itself. Not only did he come and live among us, but he died for us. And coup de grace, Jesus came back to life, rose from the dead physically, bodily, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and proving once and for all that eternal life was available for any person that would place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the devil was powerless to do anything about it. I was thinking about this week. Can you imagine the look on the devil's face? You know, that resurrection morning? When word reached his ears that they couldn't keep Jesus dead, that he came back to life, that he conquered the grave and made it possible for us to conquer the grave because of his sacrifice, I was, I don't know, I'm weird, but I was just kind of thinking, I'll bet the devil, I'll bet the devil's face kind of looked like Johnny Ringo's face in the movie Tombstone. Y'all remember that, that scene in the movie Tombstone where Johnny Ringo's waiting for Wyatt Earp to show up, and instead Doc Holliday comes in, and he looks up, and he sees Doc Holliday. Yeah, he says that. He says, I'm your Huckleberry. But he has this look on his face. His face just turns ashen white, and, and Doc Holliday says, why? Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. I kind of think that's how the devil must have looked at that moment when he realized that he had lost, he'd been defeated. We have been walking through the book of Colossians. And we have been learning that it's all about him. Uh, The book of Colossians makes that so crystal clear. And today I want to continue our walk through the book of Colossians, but I want to do it within the context of these two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism, which we'll observe outside in a little while. 
Now, two weeks ago, we got as far as chapter 3 in the section that I have entitled, Christ Practiced. And you can see maybe that heading on your, on your outline, the different parts and how I break down the book of Colossians. But this section in chapter 3 deals with Christ practice, Christ lived out, Christ becoming real in our lives. And we got as far as chapter 3 and verse 14. But today I want to back up just a little bit and actually begin in chapter 10 and work our way through verse 17. Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can open there. Uh, but we'll also have the text on the screen for you. We provide that uh, to help as well. You may have your iPad. You want to look on there or, or wherever uh, you happen to have the Word of God. You believe God's got a, got a Word for you today? Absolutely, He does. You know, Prophet Isaiah says that God's Word never returns void. I'm not sure there's, uh, what all that means. But I know if, if you will listen to his word in the spirit today as he speaks to you, you'll walk out of this place being glad you came. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all, meaning in all those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, kind of the wrap-up verse of this section. Powerful words. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through Him to God the Father. You pray with me this morning. Father, uh, again, I I really, I pray every week for these uh, people. I pray that you'll bring people, that you'll draw people, people who have been a faithful part of cross-culture since its beginning and people who have come through the doors for the very first time. My desire is that I would not waste their time, but that I would rightly divide your word and... uh, Give it to your people uh, that they might apply it to their lives. Holy Spirit, would you do that work in each of us? The amazing thing is, on any given week, I don't know what's going on in every person's life that's in this room. I don't know what struggles they're having. I don't know what victories they're experiencing. I don't know what uh, failures they're feeling. I don't know all the pressures they're going through, the trials. Maybe there's trouble in the home. Maybe there's uh, trouble at, uh, at the workplace. Maybe there's emotional issue. It's a lot, Lord. We live in a sin-cursed world and, and nobody's immune from it. 
The amazing thing is, I don't have to know all that stuff. You know each one of us intimately, personally. You desire to take us where we are and to take us where you desire for us to be in our walk with you, in our maturity in Christ, and to know you as Lord, as I've said, quite honestly, there may be people here that, that don't know you as Lord and Savior. They're just still examining this thing or contemplating or praying about it or wherever they may be. All I ask, Lord, is that you would accomplish your purposes, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would expand, and that we would, um, would just profit from uh, what you desire to do in our lives. Eternity is wonderful and fantastic and going to be beyond anything any of us can imagine, but today, right now, we're on this earth, and sometimes life is a mess, and I don't think we have to wait till eternity to experience the reality of Christ. Otherwise, I don't think Paul would say all these things that he says if, if we just had to hang on. So, Lord, help us to get it. Help us to get it, in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, in the context of the two ordinances of the church, Lord's Supper and baptism, we're going to, a few moments, we're going to uh, participate in this act. Uh, Every person, by the way, is invited, uh, you don't have to be a member of cross-culture. You have to be a member of the body of Christ. You have to be part of the body of Christ. You have to know that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You're living in accordance with His will for your life. We're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, I want to look in Colossians chapter 3 and make some application from what Paul has to say. Just some ideas that I want to share with you that apply not only to these ordinances, but to our lives in general, if we do profess Christ. If we do say Christ is my Savior, and and by the way, that's where it has to begin, ladies and gentlemen. It has to begin by answering the question, is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Is He my Savior? Have I trusted Him? Have I confessed my sin before Him? Have I acknowledged my sinfulness and need for Him? And have I asked Christ to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord? It has to start there. And until you can answer that question, because it's really just one question. I know it sounded like a bunch, but it's really just one question. Until you can answer that question, my friend, nothing else really matters. Because what we do today, these ordinances, and, and, and how we live our lives, it has to be real, not ritual. That's the first idea I want to share with you this morning. It has to be real, not a ritual. I want you to notice in Colossians chapter 3 how many times the Apostle Paul makes a reference to our hearts and how our hearts are or should be involved in this this whole Jesus thing. In, In verse 12 he says this, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a, say it with me, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your what? Hearts. The last part of verse 16. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Man, listen. 
Whatever else your Christianity is, it ought to be real. It ought to come from a heart that is truly, honestly devoted to the Lord God Almighty and an understanding of who He is and what He has done. It ought to be real. It ought to come from our hearts. And if it does, if it's real and not ritual, right? Hey, hey, has anybody ever played the ritual game in church? You know, do you understand what I'm saying? You come in, you go through the motions, you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Fine, how are you? That saved a wretch like me. I know, I can't believe she wore that. I once was. It it, it ought to be real. And if it's real, this description that, that Paul gives ought to be coming out of our lives. Our hearts ought to, to have this, 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 this compassion and kindness and humility and, and peace and all these things that he begins to describe. That really, that's kind of, kind of one of the marks of whether this thing is real or, or not. Is that what is evident in my life? It's not a ritual. It's not a thing. Oh, yeah, Sunday, got to go to church. Oh, yeah, Lord's Supper. Oh, break some of that bread. Where do they get that stuff? Uh, no, that it's... Oh, that's real wine. No, not really. <laughs> where, where is all? Uh, no, but but it, that it's real in life, and it starts coming out of it. it. Just it's just that's our life in Christ, and it's not a ritual. It's not. It's real. Uh, this past Thursday afternoon, I was coming home from the gym, and uh, was pulling out of the parking lot. I go to Fitness Nineteen right down here, and uh, was. Uh, pulling out of the parking lot, and at the same time, I was trying to retrieve a uh, voicemail that somebody had left uh, for me. Thanks a lot, Brandon. And uh, so I was trying to get this, this voicemail. And so I guess I'm kind of looking down, and I'm driving up to, you know, the stop sign where Leesville Road is. And, um, you know, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to just drive out into Leesville Road. But as I'm, I'm kind of looking down, I'm driving, and there's a lady on, her, on a bicycle, uh, riding across the intersection, and her husband is on a bicycle right behind her. And, you know, I guess I'm coming up kind of close to the thing, and I, I guess she kind of thought maybe because I was looking down, I wasn't going to stop. So she, she swerves and almost wrecks, almost swerves out of Leesville Road and uh, wrecks, and she lets out this, ah, kind of holler, you know, which then startled me. So I, I slammed on the brakes, but I, I, I really, I mean, I would have stopped. Uh, I, don't, I honestly don't think it was as big a deal as, as she seemed to make it. <laughs> that's true. Floyd said, you weren't on the bicycle. <laughs> I wasn't, that's true. But so, so, you know, she doesn't wreck, and she keep, you know, she's, giving me the, she's giving me the eye. Y'all know the eye? And she, and, but she rides on down the sidewalk, and her husband's, you know, following closely behind. And uh, so I turn on out of the Leesville Road, and I'm going home and I got the windows down and as I drive by she says jerk <laughs> now I don't I don't know when the last time was I was called a jerk at least to my face <laughs> but it, it's been a while and um, it, and, and I don't know how you would have reacted and my wife is not going to believe this but I, I slammed on the brakes and I pulled over to stop so I can ask this lady what her problem is as she, when she rides on, when she catches up to me and rides by. 
I mean, I, I, this time I did slam on the brakes. And I, and I, and I pulled over on the curb. And, and so I, I went up to the grass for just a second. Just a second. And the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Number one, you probably deserved it. Number two, so what? She called you a jerk. You've been called worse. And number three, that's not, that's not how I want you to live your life. That's not how I want you to react. That's not what a follower of Christ does. That's not his actions. That's not his attitude. I got to tell you, I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit convicted me. Number one, her husband probably would have beat me up. Uh, number two, you know, I've got my, I've got my Christian uh, sticker in the back window, you know, Jesus Jesus uh, came down, went to the cross, went in the tomb, rose again, is coming back again. Yeah, I've got a bracelet like it too. I don't know if you've seen this. This whole I've got that in there. I've got my cross culture logo right in the back window. You know. Fortunately, I pulled away. I think before she got close enough to read all that stuff. <laughs> it's it's got to be real, and that includes what we're going to do today. Uh, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I attended church some with uh, some friends of mine who whose family attended a church that partook of the Lord's Supper every week, every Sunday, every service, as a matter of fact. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with it. All Jesus commands us to do is, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. But what struck me about it as I attended their church for a number of weeks, really over the course of a, a few years, what struck me about it was the routineness of it. Do y'all know what I mean by that? That this, this passing of the bread, this passing of the cup, that somehow it had just, just become, what's the word? Oh, yeah, ritual. It had just become mundane. It had just become average. It had just become part of the service. And whatever else the ordinances of the church ought to be, they ought not to be mundane or routine or ritual. They ought to be real. Christ's death on the cross was real for you. And when we come to this table, and each person and how they do it may be different, but there ought to be a time of reflection and thinking about my life in relation to what Christ has done for me and how I'm living that life and what he did for me. Real, not ritual. Here's a, here's a second idea real quickly. I know we've got to move along. Exclusive, not excluding. Here's what I mean by that. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is one way and only one way to heaven, to eternity, to access with God. That it is not through our good works, that it is not through being a good person, that it is not through any other religious practice or religion known to man, that there is one way and that way is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross as the payment for the sins that we could never pay for ourselves. Jesus said just as much when he said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, People cannot like that. 
People can argue with that. People cannot believe that, but it doesn't change a thing. God is the one who makes up the rules, ladies and gentlemen. That's just the way it is. And by the way, he didn't have to provide anyway. He could have left us in the mess of our life. He could have left us in our sin. He could have left us to the eternity that we so richly deserved, an eternity in hell. But God being rich in mercy. It is, it is exclusive. And that's, that's just the way it is. But it's not excluded. No one is excluded. No one is prohibited from coming into a relationship with the Lord God Almighty through His His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His sacrifice. Anyone can come. Anyone can can be a part. Just as this Lord's Supper uh, table today and, and baptism in a few moments. The Lord's Supper table doesn't know where you're from or what you've done, and it doesn't care. It pictures his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. The baptismal waters don't discriminate against you because you're rich or poor or black or white or young or old or whatever. Big sinner, little sinner, doesn't care. Oh, it's exclusive. There's only one way to God. But no one is excluded. Y'all aren't going to believe this. (laughs) But... uh, Michael Jordan and I have something in common. Both of us were cut from our school's basketball teams. Although uh, mine was while I was in junior high and he was cut from his uh, high school or maybe junior varsity team as a, as a sophomore. Now, it's, it's true. I didn't go on to, be, to superstardom. It's true that I didn't make hundreds of millions of dollars in endorsements and contract deals. It's true that I didn't win a national championship in college or six world championships as a professional player. It's true I I didn't go on to become the the greatest player of, of all time. But other than that, our stories are very similar. That's also true, I, I had the vertical leap that would let me clear a small dog. It's true that I was so slow they could tie me with a sundial. But I still thought I should be on that team. I still thought I was part of it. Yeah. I'm, kind of being facetious, but in all seriousness, it's, it's, never, it's never fun, is it? Y'all remember, is, is it ever fun to be told, oh, you don't belong, you don't fit in, you're not good enough, you don't make the grade, you're not part of us, 
And, and if you've been in this, in this study in Colossians with us, you know that that's a big deal in the letter to the Colossians because that's part of the false teaching that was going on. The two groups of false teachers, the Gnostics were saying, hey, we got a special knowledge that none of y'all have and uh, we'll let you know if we want to let you have it and let you in on the whole, whole thing. Uh, no, we're, we're special, we're separate. And the Judaizers, they were, they were saying, well, you got to be one of us. If you want, really want to come to Jesus, you got to become a Jew, you got to be like one of us. Listen to me, Jesus would never do that. Never. Oh, access to God is, ex- is exclusive, but no one is excluded. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. And neither does God. Here's the way some passages of Scripture put it. This was in Colossians 3. We covered this a couple weeks ago, but I, I did want to bring this up. In this new life, listen, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us, in all of us that have come into a relationship with him. In verse 14, he kind of continues that idea about this perfect bond of unity where everyone is a part, where everyone can come and, and, and join us, where everyone can gather around the table because everyone is in the same boat, everyone's a sinner, and everyone has a Savior who died for them and they can be forgiven of their sin. Here's some of those other passages. Matthew chapter 11. Listen, listen, Jesus, come to me. Come to me. All. Uh, should we scratch that out and say, um, only Americans. Only, no, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Notice the open invitation. John chapter 7. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then, of course that great invitation that really closes out the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Oh, God's provided an exclusive way. His name is Jesus, but no one is excluded. You need to know that. Uh, Here's another one. And we don't always like to talk about this one a lot, quite honestly. Forgiving, not festering. And I got to wind this thing up, don't I? This is one we don't like to talk a lot about. Because <laughs> this one, it's a little too close to home sometimes. But look at what Paul says in verse 13. Listen, would you, would you do me a favor, if, if you would? Would you read this out loud with me? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, but uh, you, you, you don't understand. You don't know. You don't know what they did to me. All right? You can play that card with me. I'm pretty sure that hand won't play with God. He knows. He knows 
what you've done. He knows what they've done. He knows the wrongs that have been. But forgiveness is an intricate part of our relationship with God. He forgave us of our offenses against him. He forgave us of our sins against him. And he expects us to do the same. In our life, or when we come to this table, or anything else, to walk with Jesus means a, a desire to, to let God handle it and to be able to extend forgiveness. Let it go. It's not worth it. I have discovered, it uh, seems like in my years of experience, that uh, we tend to not want to let it go for t- one of two reasons or a combination thereof. One, we kind of like the way it feels to be angry at somebody. Come on now. Sometimes there's something within our human nature that that feeds on anger and bitterness. Now, it's not healthy. I'll get to that in a minute. But there's something within us that kind of, oh, I like that. That feels good to to just, hmm. Two, the other reason is that I think that we think or that we're afraid that somehow if we forgive someone, it's it's like they're off the hook. First off, they're not off the hook. Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the last verse in Colossians chapter 3. We're, we'll get to that uh, next week or week after that. But uh, they're not the hook. God knows everything. But, but we're afraid. Oh, if I forgive them, if I let this thing go, then, then, then they're off the hook. You know, you know the irony of that is? They don't even care. They don't even care that you're mad, that you're angry, that you can't sleep at night, that your stomach is churning. They don't care. They've moved on with their life. And the only one, ironically, that ends up on the hook is you. Hooked into your anger and bitterness and, and just, ah, uh, let it go. Uh, Cindy and I have lived in uh, Waverly, Tennessee twice in our life. Long story. Don't have time to go into all of it. Uh, but the, the first time we lived there, uh, the church where we attended had a, a, a lady, a woman who was administrative assistant to the pastor, who was just a delightful lady. She was, she was helpful. She was gracious. She was accommodating. She was joyful. Uh, she was just a wonderful person to be around, which ought to describe a follower of Jesus Christ. People ought to want to hang around with us. Do people want to hang around with you or me? I don't know. We moved away for a few years. We moved back. In the meantime, the pastor who had been the pastor there for a very long time, he retired. But when he retired, there were some things that went on. We weren't there at the time yet, but there were some things that went on that kind of caused a little bit of a stir in the church. Go figure. <laughs> um, and, uh, and anyway, she felt like that he was mistreated, the pastor, as he was retiring. She felt like he didn't get what he deserved, maybe recognition, maybe, you know, whatever, uh, that she thought that he, he should have got, um, he, and she got angry. She got angry at the church. She got angry at the people in the church that she felt were responsible for that. And she wouldn't let it go. When we moved back, it was startling, the difference. It, it, she wasn't even the same person anymore. I, I, I'm telling you, her very countenance had changed. She, she, was, she was just angry and brooding and surly and unhelpful and just... Mm, Her marriage fell apart because her husband claimed he just couldn't live with the person that she had become. She eventually developed cancer and died. Now, I'm not saying forgiving someone will keep you from getting cancer. And I'm not saying not forgiving someone will give you cancer. But I will say this. Unforgiveness will kill you. It will steal your joy and your contentment from your life. It will rob you of the stuff that ought to make life valuable, like your relationships. And 
Let it go. Let God handle it. Real quickly, wow, we moving on. Um, here's my next one. Here's what I'm calling it. Fulfilling, not full of it. I don't even know how I'm going to get all this done. Fulfilling, not full of it. There's something about verse 16 that grabs my heart, ladies and gentlemen, and it has for years. There's something about verse 16 that maybe better than any other single verse in all the Bible that I can think of, there's something about verse 16 that just describes what a follower of Jesus' life ought to look like and what the church, that's us, what that atmosphere ought to look like. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. As far as I know, this is the only place in Scripture where that phrase, word of Christ, richly, this word of Christ, the only place in Scripture where it appears. It's talking about more than just scripture memorization. And not that that is a bad thing, of course. Our lives would be much better if all of us worked at the discipline of placing scripture into our heart and into our lives and memorizing scripture. But it's more than that when he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Listen to me. It's more than just having the answers. It's living in the reality of Christ. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I was thinking this week, you know, about all the, all the shows that become so hugely popular these days having to do with music and dancing and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, American Idol, uh, Dancing with the Stars, uh, So You Think You Can Dance, Confession Time. Uh, Sin and I have watched that So You Think You Can Dance this year, which I never thought I would watch a dancing show, but uh, we have watched that show this, this year, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's uh, amazing what they can do. I, in, in my day, I was known to bust a move or two, but, but nothing like what those people could do. Movies like, um, uh, what's the singing and dancing thing? Uh, high School Musical, one, two, three, four, however many there are. And Glee, that is hugely popular. Now there's a 3D movie, Glee movie out or something like that. And I was thinking about, I was just, I was just kind of meditating on verse 16. Just, just this idea of, of Christ richly dwelling with, within me. It's so much to the extent that, that it says, with teaching and admonishing one another, with songs, singing, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so it got me curious. And so I looked, you know the word Glee means now it originally it came it originally meant or came to mean uh, a particular style of singing a small ensemble in the 18th century kind of developed uh, that didn't use instruments but do you know what the word actually means the word actually means jubilant delight joy and I thought well that's kind of cool because based on what Paul describes here in Colossians chapter 3 the church is the original glee club amen that's right Hey, listen, it gets even better. I about jumped out of my chair when I saw this. I read a little further on for a second definition, and here's what it said. Great merriment or delight often caused by someone else's misfortune. And I thought, we are the glee club. Oh, not, not a misfortune like, like he accidentally stumbled onto the cross. No, he willingly went to the cross beaten and bruised and bloodied and died so that you and I could have joy and contentment, so that you and I could have a song in our hearts that says, I'm a member of the redeemed. 
have been bought by the blood of Christ. Full, full of joy, full of contentment, full of Christ. Not full of it, putting it on, acting like, oh yeah, Sunday. Got to go hang out with the Jesus people today. Better act like we're doing, oh yeah, doing fine. Great, marriage, wonderful. Oh yeah, no, no. All right, last one, because we're going to be past as it is. But just, just for your notes, if you want to fill in the blanks. About him, not us. That's really how it all culminates. It's what, the, kind of the idea that whether it's we're talking about the Lord's Supper, whether we're talking about baptism, whether we're talking about our life in Christ, it's not about us. Verse 17, as I said, kind of wraps it up. And whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do in the workplace, whatever you do in the home, whatever you do in your marriage, whatever you do in your spare time, what, however you spend your money, whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, what we do today in gathering in this place and singing the songs, it's not about a particular genre or style of music that makes it worshipful. Colossians 3 seems to indicate God likes all the styles. It's, it's, not, it's not authentic because it's Sunday and we're gathered here. It's authentic because it comes from hearts where Christ richly dwells. And so today through the Lord's Supper and in a few moments through baptism. It's not about us. It's not about our lives. It's really not about us. It's about Him. Thanks, Pastor. Those are some great reminders for us, not only when participating in the ordinances of the church, but for our everyday lives. As we heard today, the Lord's Supper and baptism aren't rituals. They should be real to us, reminders of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our lives should be marked by hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, forgiveness, and the other attributes that the Apostle Paul mentions. Christ richly dwelling in us means a life that that glorifies God and brings true satisfaction. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.